Revelation. That was said with such enthusiasm, I've taken great heart. The encouragement is we're nearly there. We're nearly there. But uh, last week I took four chapters and I thought, well, I'll, I'll have, uh, I'm going to take something slightly uh, slower pace now. We're only going to deal with one chapter. And uh, it's chapter 19. I've reserved chapter 20 for Edward next week. Um, and you'll know why if you read it at home. Um, no, I'm only kidding. That's the way it fell, isn't it, Edward? <laughs> It's the prerogative of the preacher to choose how many chapters he's going to deal with. I've decided to deal with one. So Edward will be dealing with all the millennium issues um, next week. Revelation 19. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the sound of peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And at this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has his name, this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come gather together for the great supper of God 
so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. And then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who had performed many miraculous signs on his behalf, And with these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. And the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the ruler rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Amen. Oh, it's great stuff, isn't it? Great stuff. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege these past weeks of going through this amazing book in your word. And we have not always understood everything. And we've come with humility because there are mysteries here. And there's language here we can't always quite put into a box and understand. But we want to to hear what you're saying to us. So by your spirit, will you speak as we seek to just bring your truth from this passage out this morning. Give us ears to hear, hearts to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation has given us this amazing picture of cosmic warfare. Jesus is the king. He loves his creation. His creation fell under the rebellion led by Lucifer, Satan, the devil. And since that time, he has been rescuing people. He came himself to die on a cross that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And through these pages of this vision, this revelation, we have seen that cosmic battle played out in a sort of earthly sphere. And we come to nearing the end where it gets just better and better and better. But here we're still with the theme of judgment. And what our response to judgment should be. I don't know if you have ever had an awkward conversation about judgment. I've had many awkward conversations about judgment. Just to give you a couple of examples I took a funeral, and to my knowledge, the person who I was taking the funeral for was not a believer, but I clearly said, we don't know that for sure, because who knows that in the last moments of someone's life, they may turn to the Lord and make their peace with God, but what I did say clearly, as I always say, but what I do know is there is a hope. For everyone who believes in Jesus, that eternal life is given as a gift, not on the basis of what we've done in our lives, the goodness that we can muster up, but on the basis of his grace and his love. And all we have to do is receive it. And the girl came up to me, well, a young woman came up to me after the service and said to me, so what you're saying is that my grandma is going to hell. I said, oh, that's not what I said. She said, but if it's true, 
that unless you believe in Jesus, unless you've been rescued, you're not saved. And she said, my grandma wasn't a believer, never believed in God, was never religious. So does that mean she's in hell? And all I said was, we don't know. But you have a choice. Another situation on the Alpha course, this has happened several times. When people come on the Alpha course and they have an idea of what Christianity is, but by week three, they've heard what really Christianity is about. It's all about Jesus. And the penny sometimes drops and they say, well, what you're saying is this, that unless Jesus rescues me or unless I believe in Jesus, I will be separated from him forever. And I say, yeah, you've got that. Well, the, the, they don't like that, obviously. Never goes down well. The talk on heaven and hell never goes down well. All the arguments come out. What about those who have never heard? And I say, well, that's a red herring. You have heard. What are you going to do about it? You cannot do anything about those who have never heard. You have to leave that up to God. He will be just and he will never make a mistake. But you have heard. That doesn't always go down well either. How are we to respond to judgment? And I would suggest that today we don't have to be awkward about judgment. And we don't have to be embarrassed about judgment. What we have to do is worship God. As God's judgment falls within this revelation, heaven erupts with praise. Why? Not because judgment is falling, but because Jesus is coming. Because Jesus is coming. It is a fact. He promised it. He has never broken one of his promises yet. And he has promised that he is coming back. And the name that, with which we began this revelation is the same name with which it will end. The name of Jesus and his coming began A.D. history. His second coming will conclude A.D. history and usher in a new creation. Jesus and his name actually means the Lord saves. That's what he's about. And throughout these last 2,000 years, the invitations have been sent out to anyone who will accept them. You don't have to accept his invitation but there are consequences for turning them down. The invitation is to a feast, to the supper of the Lamb. It's a wedding feast depicted in the pages of Revelation. But the end cannot come without judgment. The new creation cannot come without the old being judged. Chapter 19 concludes the judgment visions and salvation songs are sung against that backdrop of judgment. Salvation, God's rescue plan, is his answer to the discord between heaven and earth, to the discord between the creator and his creatures. That catastrophe that was caused by an act of rebellious disobedience that attempted to actually displace God 
And that Satan has sought to deceive mankind from that time. From the very beginning of Adam and Eve. Surely, surely he tempts. Salvation is God's answer to that rebellion. Salvation is the plot of history. It's the most comprehensive theme in the scriptures. Because God is determined to rescue And there is within the heart of God a reckless indiscrimination about salvation. It's open to everyone. Absolutely everyone. No means testing here. No, how much are you qualified? Everyone is welcome. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And that implies those who do not believe will perish. As I see it, as I understood it before I became a Christian, the world's best alternative to salvation, a denial or optimism. Denial's very easy. There is no God. I'm an atheist, there is no God, there is no judgment, there is no heaven and hell. Once you're dead, you're dead, and that is it. And that is a response. Not actually based on much evidence, but it's a response. The other response is optimism. I've met so many people, well, it will be all right in the end, I'm sure. How did you get to that understanding? They're in a better place. They're at peace. Sorry, how how do you know that? People are very happy with a God of love and very happy with heaven. There's a kind of folk religion that actually it doesn't matter if you believe in God, you'll still go to heaven. I mean, I have met people who say they don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus, but still like to think that there's a heaven. When they die, it's the most bizarre thing. But they are not happy with a God of judgment. And I'm not overly happy about judgment. I don't want to see anyone lost for eternity. But I've come to the conclusion in my years of following Jesus people make a choice. To follow Jesus or not. The promptings. I believe he prompts. He knocks on everyone's door. He has revealed himself in so many ways. Supremely by coming himself. And even as believers we do find these judgment visions difficult. Not so much the destruction of evil. Not so much the destruction of Satan. Not so much the destruction of those who have done evil things in this world. Because deep down, we think they deserve judgment. I think where we really struggle and where I struggle in my conversations with people, what about good people? Why can't God just allow every good person into heaven? That would make it far easier. No, it won't. Who decides who's good enough or not? Does God have a sort of rating system? 
where if you get above that in goodness, you'll be allowed in. It doesn't work like that. God has said it's not based on how good you are because you will never be good enough because my standards are so high you will never reach them. The standard is Jesus Christ. We all fall short. That's why we need a rescuer, a saviour. So he has made this amazing offer. It's about his grace. All you have to do is receive it. It's a free gift of salvation. So in this vision... John receives a glimpse of the people of God in heaven and their reaction to judgment. The great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us and the angels in heaven, what are they doing? They're not cringing. They're not saying, this is very embarrassing. Jesus is judging everyone. They're worshipping with all their heart and all their mind and all their strength. Heartfelt worship, exuberant worship, not because of the judgment, but because it ushers in the coming of the king and the new creation. Imagine for a moment, just imagine for a moment, you're all, we're already there in the new creation. I know it's so, you can't imagine it. It's, it's beyond imagining, but just go with me just for a moment. I want to make a point. Imagine you're in the new heaven and the new earth. AD history has long since ended, and we inhabit God's paradise. And we're strolling together down the golden main street, basking in the tangible presence of God and the beauty of his new creation. And suddenly we turn a corner And our faces drop because right in front of us are a number of advertising hoardings, huge ones. And one is advertising the opening of a new lap dancing club where drinks are free and the guests can take advantage of the in-house call girls. Another promotes the ultimate in mansion security. Systems that will promise that it can save you from falling victim to one of the armed robberies which have been rife in the heavenly city. And another advertises tower reading and psychic lines. And another is seen making an appeal for the famines in the new heaven and the new earth. And we walk down this street and we suddenly say, God, this is not right. This is not the new heaven. This is not the new earth. It is like the old one. This imaginary scene helps us to understand why the people of God rejoice in heaven when they see God finally bringing his judgment. Because without judgment, there can be no heaven. No new earth, new heaven, new creation without judgment. Otherwise, it will be just like it is now. God will not allow evil in the new heaven and the new earth. He will not allow sin to remain. That's why that wonderful passage of the no more in the new heaven and new earth, there will be no more death, sickness, cancer, rape, theft, racism, child abuse, torture, war, ethnic cleansing, terror, loneliness, hunger, tears, hatred, pain, suffering, because it's all been done away with. As Jesus brings his judgment on it. And no complaints that God's judgment is too harsh because he is the only one qualified to judge. 
It is time for us, as the church of Jesus Christ, to see with heavenly eyes and step up to that place in the great multitude of worshippers. It is time for us to grasp that unless God destroys every trace of this fallen world and its unrepentant inhabitants and brings that judgment, there cannot be the new heaven and new earth as he's promised. And why is it delayed? Because he wants to save. Why has Jesus not returned already? Because he wants to save. But he will return at the right time. And heaven sings of this in this chapter. Heaven sings of a wedding. Verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. History's not going to end with a funeral. The new creation is going to begin with a wedding. And we're all invited. Not a wake, but a feast. And all who have received Christ are invited. Because history has been this long love story as God has lavished his love on creation. Paid the price for our sins that we might inherit eternal life. And even in this picture that we see the marriage of Jesus and the church, it is a picture of human marriage because human marriage was based on this picture. It's not that picture based on human marriage as we sometimes interpret it. This is the picture that our marriage is based on, human marriage. The marriage of Jesus to the bride of Christ his church, the one for whom he died. That's why he says, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church and died for her. Wives submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. That's the pattern. It's partly why Satan hates marriage and wants to corrupt it and destroy it. The picture of the wedding feast declares there is joy and celebration over the church and the promises that God makes. All that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. And we respond, say, I will, I do, and make that commitment. Now, I know I'm a bloke myself. I find it sometimes hard to get excited about this image of the church as a bride of Christ. It sounds a bit feminine to me. You know, it's as if us blokes have ordered an action movie and we've got a chick flick instead at the end of time. But you look closer at this passage, this is definitely an action movie. Yeah, there's, there's that bit of the wedding. But don't miss the point. The wedding image unites us with Christ as we have authority to sit next to Christ and reign with him in the new creation. And John receiving this from an angel is just gobsmacked and momentarily loses the plot completely and falls down before the angel and starts worshipping the angel. And the angel said, and make no mistake, angels must be impressive creatures. That's why whenever they meet someone in the Bible, they say, they don't say, hi, how are you doing? They say, get up, don't be afraid. But the angel says, don't worship me. I'm just a fellow servant with you and your brothers. And we, the church, do something that even angels cannot do. We have been entrusted with the gospel to preach the gospel to the world. 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. Angels do not proclaim the gospel. They're part of heaven's army. They're on hand to minister, to speak, to break people free from jail in Acts 5, to direct the missions of Philip in Acts 8, to bring revelation to Peter in Acts 10. Yes, they're always there ministering spirits. But the church is the one that was commissioned to go to the world. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, instead of calling at least 72,000 angels or more to come, he commissions 12 apostles. And then fills 120 believers with the Holy Spirit and says, go into the whole world. But the angels are ready and they're ready for war as Jesus comes. And then we see this picture of Jesus, the rider on the white horse, the conquering king, the righteous judge, the captain of the armies of heaven. This final vision, we see Jesus. And the whole of heaven erupts in worship because this is the moment they've all been waiting for. There is a moment when Jesus is going to ride out. And it says here, make war on evil. Yes, he will. For up to 18 chapters of anticipation, expectation, even the crying out of how long, this is the best news. The best news. Because pain and suffering and evil on this planet is going to be done away with. And sometimes people are surprised by this scene. Jesus riding out to war. This is Jesus. The baby that was born in an animal feeding trough. This is Jesus who is full of grace and truth. This is Jesus, the parable-telling preacher from Galilee. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who rode into Jerusalem on a foal of a donkey, who surrendered to arrest, torture, crucifixion, who wore a crown of thorns, who cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it's the same Jesus who is the risen Lord, who said, it is finished, who said, it is done, who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the sword-wielding captain of the armies of heaven, who rides out on a white horse to destroy once and for all Satan and all his minions. All who have continually loved the darkness and refused the light. And no crown of thorns anymore, but the crowns of heaven. And his face shining like the sun. And his eyes blazing fire and a sharp double-edged sword of judgment from his mouth. This is Jesus. This is the one that every eye will see. And every knee will bow before because they won't be able to do anything else. He came once in obscurity to bring salvation to this world. When he comes again, he comes as the king of the cosmos, the ruler of all things. Until he comes, that offer of salvation is open, open to all. Even today, maybe you're here this morning, you've never received that offer, you've never responded and said, yeah, this is for me. I want Jesus as my Lord. 
Who else am I going to trust? If this is true, this is so important. And that's why we're here as a church. If this were not true, what are we doing here, folks? We're here because God has changed our lives and he's called us to be his mission agency in the world. And that's why heaven worships. It erupts in worship. That word, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It only appears four times in the New Testament. And we're all here in chapter 19 of Revelation as heaven just can't help itself. Just can't help itself. Jesus! Hallelujah. I get excited of the little I've seen of Jesus. The little I've experienced of Jesus. But imagine for a moment we're on the reception committee when he's coming. Well, we are. We're on the reception committee. We're either going to come with him or we're going to be there saying, he's coming. I don't know which I prefer, to come with him. That sounds exciting. But to be there when he comes sounds even more exciting. It's not up to me. But it's important that we be prepared and not give up. Not give up. Satan would love the church to give up. Satan would love to say, church, you're useless. Give up. Uh-uh. Do you know what? Estimated, rough estimations, pessimistic estimations, 60 million Christians in China. That's the lower end of the scale. More Christians in China than the whole of Europe. Because God is on the move. And they thank God for the missionaries that were sent out from Britain. We're missionary disciples. We're a missionary church. And God says, will you go for me as he readies to come? Never be embarrassed about judgment. Never be awkward about judgment because it's heralding the coming of the king. Amen? Let's just pray. Father God, this morning... As we have worshipped, we have sought to touch your heart with our heartfelt praise. We see this picture in heaven and we see heaven erupting in worship and we want to be like that. Forgive our half-heartedness sometimes. I thank you that you are a God who saves, rescues. It's what you do. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you come now, even this morning. I believe there are those this morning you want to save. Even here in this room, you want to save. And speaking on behalf of Jesus, I want to speak to your heart. Will you accept, once for all, Jesus as your Savior? Will you ask him to forgive you, forgive you your sins? And will you offer your life? to live for him, trusting him with all things. All you have to do is say yes, please come into my life. If that's you this morning, I encourage you to tell somebody that they may pray for you. 
This is too important to leave on the back burner. This is too important to give a miss one more time. God is calling you this morning to make a commitment. Tie your color to the mast. Whose side are you on? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Save more, Lord, we pray. Give us wisdom in our conversations with our friends and families. We don't want to be clumsy. We want to be able to share the good news, because it is good news. All that you are and all that you've done. But build your church, Lord, in this nation. Build it, Lord, that this nation may hear the sound of the gospel, not in muffled tones, but in clear voices. And give us courage and boldness because I guess many of us are fearful at times in our witness. We ask for courage and boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have made a commitment this morning, I do believe that God has spoken to least one, but more than one. Do, do tell somebody. Do tell somebody. Come on the Alpha course. Find out more. Let's stand as we conclude our worship with our final song.